Oh, hello. Where have all the cowboys gone? Yippee-yo, yippee-yay. Yippee-yo, yippee-yay. A minute, now i got to finish. Yippee-yo, yippee-yay, yay, 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 yay. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> this is going to be a fantastic hour. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who sang that? Was that Paula? That Paula Co- Cole? Paula Cole, just on What happened to her? <laughs> I don't know. Is she living with an aunt? Let's look it up. I'm looking Paula it up now. Cole. Her her website is still What magnificent cheekbones she has. Magnificent. It's truly my time now at fifty. <laughs> She's going to be she she's going to be in uh, on the Cape in uh in August if you want to go. I kind of do. Should we go see let's <laughs> let's record live from Apollo Cole concert. <laughs> she's singing American jazz and folk classics from the 30s. Oh, fantastic. Oh my god, her father's Jim Cole? I don't understand anything. <laughs> okay. So if you're just joining the podcast, this is Generally a podcast about yoga, but now we're going to change course and just have the whole podcast forever be about Paula Cole. <laughs> and it's just what you've been asking for over the years, and we're finally ready to listen. <laughs> More Paula Cole media. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a smoker's wheeze right there. <laughs> Um, so one thing I'm learning about, uh, being a, being a first time mom, (laughs) there are a lot of terrible children's books out there, Ryan. And this is what happens. Everybody, this is what, this is what happens. Everybody starts saying that they get a kid, they get some board books. Some of the board books are good. Some of the board books are garbage. And they think to themselves, hey, I could write a children's book. I could write a children's book. And then uh, they don't. But I I have a feeling that that's how it starts. Because there's some real bad, real bad stuff out there. Yeah. Bad how? I don't know. I've got this board book that says you're... It might have been a gift from someone. I feel bad. Um, It's a story about... It's not a story. It's a series of pages that that are how much you love your child. Uh, But, like, everything is super abstract. So, like, any kid reading this is like, I don't... I don't. I can't correlate words to pictures. This makes no sense to me. And I feel like you have some unresolved issues with returned affection, Mom. You know, that's <laughs> sort of the subtext. Fantastic. That. Yeah. Fantastic. Anyways, let's uh, let's take a hard left back to yoga. Um, no, I want to know about you falling off a treadmill. That is in my notes. <laughs> we are not going anywhere until I hear about falling off a treadmill. I wish I could say it was the first time in my life this has happened. <laughs> um, but it's not. Uh, this most recent time, however, I was at Orange Theory and I was going a lot because I had 
foolishly purchased uh, one of those ongoing membership packs where it just re-ups and then you have to do eight sessions for the month. And um, I had sort of decided that it had been like a good way to like give me a kick in the pants to start moving, but that I didn't actually need to go there to move. You know what I mean? Sure. So I realized, though, that I had canceled my membership but still had a bunch of classes that were about to expire. So like any normal red-blooded American, I decided to completely punish myself by trying to use up all my classes at the very last minute. And um, so I was getting a little tired. Let's put it that way. And um, I was like on day seven sure. in the last six days, you know. And um, I get... You have to do these, uh, you know, you do like an intense run for like 10 minutes and then you quickly get off the treadmill and go to like the rower, some weights or whatever. And I was on the treadmill and, you know, they say stop and I hit the button and I turned and I gracefully you know, <laughs> let the treadmill take me to the end. And that's where I got cocky, Ryan. I gracefully get <laughs> the treadmill. And then I stepped and my leg did that thing. It's really more my ankle, you know, and I think this has happened to every human where all of a sudden your ankle's like, you know what? Nah. <laughs> and it like rolled to the side where it then commenced what <laughs> took 17 minutes in total for me to fall. <laughs> it was like a slow motion shit faced cartwheel. And I could see everyone's facial expression on my way to the earth. And I was like, here we go. Oh, I'm tall. It's still happening. <laughs> and um, I ended as anyone would with their legs straight up in the air. <laughs> and an instructor with a headset microphone on saying, are you okay? <laughs> so I put my thumb up in the air. I gave her the thumbs up. And then I proceeded to do the rest of the class because it only felt like a small little, like, it just felt a little sore. So I, I proceeded with the rest of my orange theory. And then the next day I woke up and was like, mother. Yeah. And they needed help getting in and out of the tub. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was real bad. I thought I was going to have to teach yoga sitting down. The yeah. Next day, but I didn't. Everything is fine. Everything's fine. It was just humiliating. Good times. <laughs> the first time I fell off a treadmill, though, <laughs> I was at a YMCA about 15 years ago. And I was running, and I had bought a pair of cheaply made bell-bottom athletic pants that were, like, retro in the 90s, you know? That sounds intelligent. <clears throat> they were adorable, mm -hmm. Ryan. They, they made my ass look great. And I was running and, of course, stepped into the bell bottom and fell face first on the treadmill, which then projectiled me full cold straddle to the reclined bike behind me, which happened to be mounted by a friend of mine. So it all worked out. <laughs> it literally shot me through the air and I landed crotch first on a bike. <laughs> That's the universe trying to tell you something. <laughs> Get off. Get off the treadmill. <laughs> um, so how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, I, I'm maybe slightly under-caffeinated. Um, 
but uh you know here we are on a tuesday morning um uh and uh i have like five days until vacation oh my god really amazing i'm beyond excited um so you just have you to, going? you know, power through the next couple of days. Um, I am going uh, to San Francisco. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm How long are you going for? Uh, like six days. Do you practice there? Who do you do you take class, public classes? Um, I might go take a class here and there. Uh, my friend had I. Uh, has a gorgeous uh roof deck in his apartment and so my preference is to just like get out of bed early and go up there and practice up there um but i might go to the iangar center i might go um uh yeah i'll see what's i'll see what's happening um uh it's always so jealous it's always very, it's always very interesting to go take class out there because it's it's it just it's just a different vibe than it is like if you were to go practice at any studio in New York or Boston. It's just a very different vibe. Um, like the last are time they I, chiller? Well, last time I went there, I went and took a friend's vinyasa class, and I was I was sweating buckets like it was a it was it was a vigorous class but there was nothing like complicated about it like there was nothing fancy about it it was just like a little bit of warm-up a little bit of sun salutations a little warrior two you know maybe a seated pose wheel 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 potential for headstand or shoulder stand whatever you wanted to do and then like Nice long shavasana. Like, it was just very simple. I was like, oh, if this is what vinyasa was like most places, I would, I could, I could get with this. Ugh, and I hear that and I'm like, that sounds awful. (laughs) You need to be flowing and choreographed and, and, and interesting and creative and. Well, yeah, you know why? Because fucks on salutations. Well, relying on them. You know what I mean? Like, so I get creative in order to avoid having to do lots of jumping and stepping and folding. But you can also do that without being like super complex. You know, I got to think about it. I've, Lately, I feel like there's been a slight turn in the tides away from that. Oh, yeah? At least in my small world. You know, I say that as if it's like a meta thing. I just assume it is. Um, But, like, some of the teachers that I've been practicing with for a while, um, you know, I've I've noticed it seems to be a, a little bit of a simplification of vinyasa. Like, I think people are spending more time in shapes talking about what we're doing in the shapes. Not everybody, but I've just, some people that used to teach like much more like, and then this leads to this and this leads to this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> are like a little bit more like, no, no. 
I mean, so, one one would hope that that would just be an, the, a natural progression within the context of teaching lots of yoga. Like at a certain point, like if your eyes are at all open while you're teaching, you're gonna be like, oh, no one can do any of this stuff that I'm asking them to do. <laughs> well, here's the thing. In the classes that I'm referring to, they could. Like, big, big rooms of people were doing it. But what it was, was a big room of people that always came over and over again to that teacher, so could anticipate what was happening, and over time their bodies adjusted, and they could. But it was, like, alienating for the newcomer, who came in and was like, what? How come a room full of... Humans. How come 40 of the 60 people here are able to do that nonsense? Yeah. I think. Okay. So are you, but are you saying that things are slowing down? I think that, I think that there's, that, yeah, a little bit. I think they're simplifying. Interesting. I would not say like to the degree that you described in a San Francisco class, but definitely like, I think some steps have been taken away in general from a couple teachers that, you know, I've taken class with where I'm like, hey, this feels different than what was happening. Well, you know, I did, I I mean, I, I don't go to many public classes and the last one I went to was with Fez, so that doesn't really count as like a typical public class because we have the same teacher, so <laughs> it, it's very much in the vein of how I practice anyway. Um, uh, but I'm trying to think the last public class I went to. Oh, it's been a while. Um, oh, it was in Philadelphia. I went to Alex O'Dare's class, um, which was super cool and super interesting and, and very, uh, um, you know, different, obviously like a, a, a different, "Quote unquote style, but very much in line with the way that I I tend to practice. I feel like the last like vinyasa class I went to would have might have been Megan Rosansky's. Um, I just happened to be at Charlestown early, and her class was going on. I was like, oh, I'll just pop in. Um, but this was like months and months and months and months ago. It may have even been like six months ago. Um." And, uh, at least on that Wednesday, I was struck by the, by the pace that I was like, oh, this is like, I at no point am feeling like I have to like catch up, which is always my experience in a vinyasa class, like where I have to just be like, almost have to like skip an entire shape to catch up with the <laughs> with the rest of the class um yes uh, that is what you do <laughs> <laughs> no i know what you mean Listen, that's wild i'm i'm no. not gonna i'm not gonna like hyperventilate for the sake of group conformity <laughs> like i'm just i love it oh my god can that be a t-shirt <laughs> You know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to 
sidetrack the conversation too much, but you're reminding me of something I saw, um, uh, uh, a conversation on Instagram. Um, po- it was a question posed by, um, oh my God. Hey, Frankie. I'm just going to see if I can find it real quick. Anyways, the question was, uh, is yoga cardio? Oh. Oh, and it was a question from it was Matt Rutkowski, and um, he's always asking smart questions on Instagram. I I enjoy what he has to say, and I disagree with him frequently, but I think he's he's very smart about what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And um, we were, I said it can be, you know, and so we went back and forth a little bit, and um, because I think for somebody like let's say that there's somebody. I don't know. His whole thing was like, yoga is not cardio. Well, I mean, what is, at any given moment, you are having a cardiovascular experience. <laughs> like, let's yeah, be I, clear on that. At any given moment, your heart is pumping. God willing. God willing. Yeah. So if someone is sedentary, like if yes. someone is sitting at a desk, to ask them to go from sitting at a desk especially if they're not like a runner, let's say. Like if we're talking about like the mat the the archetype of cardio being running at, when people talk about doing cardiovascular like activity um uh to go from sitting at a desk for 8 hours to running a marathon or even a 5k like that's you got that's that's a little that's a little little rough. Um but if you have been sitting at a desk all day, if you walk into even even like a a, a teacher that's doing sort of more like um, of an Iyengar uh, type class or or Deskachar more inspired class, like you, there will probably be some cardiovascular benefit to that. Um, uh, uh, you know, it'll be di- different than running or going on a bike. But when we say, when we qualify something as cardio, it's like, well, are you saying getting the heart rate up? Because that's relative, like heart rate up from where? You know? Um, so I, I think... If the only physical activity you're doing is yoga and you're doing it regularly, might there be some benefit to doing other cardiovascular activity that gets the heart rate up even more? Yeah, maybe. Um, But oftentimes I feel like cardio is code for weight loss. Interesting. I feel like when people say, oh, I got to go on the treadmill and not fall or... um, Hey! (laughs) Or... Uh, you know, go for a run or go for a, like a bike ride. Like sometimes I feel like, okay, well, are we, are we actually talking about cardiovascular benefit or are we using that as code for like, get skinny? Oh, oh, good point. You know, I, and like, I feel like in the conversation Matt was having, it was like, it felt very like fitness oriented 
you know, like how we were framing cardio, like just for overall fitness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, usually cardio is code for calorie burn or calorie deficit. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I completely agree with you on, on the, on the cardio being an arbitrary construct, completely dependent on the individual. Yeah. And you, and I, and I, you know, that is proved by my time at orange theory. It's really interesting because <laughs> everybody has these monitors on and you don't know whose monitors is who's up there. But what I can see is that like, there's a room full of people running and some people, their heart rate is like at 90, 90%. And some people are running faster and their heart rate is at like 70%, you know, like VO two max and all that is, you know, you just have no idea. But the, the takeaway for me is what the hell is wrong with it, it, The implication was if, if your heart rate starts to rise, it's time to slow down your practice. And I'm like, I don't know that that's true. Uh, yeah, I don't know. that. Th- I don't think that's true. I think if you were really, if you just did a whole practice where your focus was on like, even in, not in a like, uh, in a like biofeedback way necessarily, where you like plug yourself into things, but like if it, you could, in theory, do a practice in which you could have one hand free to like feel the like have the last instruction in every pose be like okay, let me feel how how my heart is beating and notice when it's beating harder, and and. They're, yeah, they're gonna. If you're doing more physical, like metabolic output, like your breathing and your heart rate are going to shift accordingly. Um, so I don't think for one minute that when someone is like lowering from a handstand to whatever crazy arm balance that like there is a cardiovascular event that has to happen in order to support that level of muscular Mm. engagement so it's just a very i just feel like it's it's um you know uh Yeah, I I wouldn't necessarily. You know what it is, Ryan? It's code for beginners and out of shape people, and and notice I'm not grouping those with overweight yeah. people because not all overweight people are out of shape, and overweight people. It's code for them that they are not allowed to explore and practice, uh, quote unquote, more vigorous compound shapes until they can get their heart under control. It's like this elitism of the athletic portion of yoga it's like to truly do the shape not only do you have to do the shape but you have to do it without breaking a sweat and you better have clean cool even breathing like you know or else you know this isn't you're not a real yogi oh and by the way you're you're vegan right but but like (laughs) it just feels like that like but also clean cool even breathing is not like there are plenty of times when I've been in a class and doing the simplest forms imaginable and notice that like there's something there's something kind of 
belabored about my breathing. Like, I, I've totally had those moments. And it's possible that there's something physical going on. It's possible that there's something um, just in terms of, like, fatigue. There's. It's possible that there's something, that uh, there's a physiological event happening. It's possible that there's a psychosomatic thing happening. Mm. And, like, so it's just interesting, like, if you notice, if I notice that my breathing, which is, what I don't necessarily like in every shape notice what my heart rate is like that's that I'm not necessarily feeling for that um in every moment uh but I certainly am interested in how my breathing is and I don't I don't take belabored breathing as a sign of like necessarily I'm not talking about like heaving and 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 like unable to breathe but just like I notice when it's a little bit it's not a calm, steady breath. And I'm just like, huh, okay, what's going on? Um, and it, it's not like I'm necessarily going to get to a, a definitive answer within the course of practice, but I'm just like, oh, okay, this, this feels a little bit weird. And I feel like the last time I noticed that happening with my breath, it was, became very clear by the end of practice that like, oh, you're just fucking pissed off. Like, you're just angry. Like, this is just, you're you're angry. And, like, you're overexerting because you're pissed off at somebody. And... Oh, my God, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's and awesome. And I was like, okay, so it's not like I'm really fatigued. It's not like there's anything wrong. It's just like, no, you're, this is, you're, you know, clearly need to work through whatever this is in asana practice is not uh not necessarily going to be effective for that today um but uh, i don't know i i i any anything any time anyone's like your your experience should be this or should be that uh that's that's a little that's a little bit of a red flag um it's a big red flag, actually. I mean, we all do it. We all imply that other people's experiences and practice should be the same as ours. Um, uh, but it's something that, that I think we need to be kind of constantly vigilant about. Um, and it is... I was, I don't remember who I was talking to this about, but it was in the context of meditation um, that one thing that I tried to do whenever someone, you know, because the benefit of having, doing a meditation class is like, it's sort of understood that you're going to meditate and then talk about it. Like there, which is not, so people are much less taken aback when I'm like, hey, how was that for everybody? Then in a yoga class, when I stop everyone and be like, what did you feel? Like that's, for a lot of people, like, wait, 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 we have to talk about what we feel? Get me the fuck out of here. Um, <laughs> so anyways, whenever someone reports a either, like, really positive experience of meditation or a really negative experience of meditation, I really try hard to, first of all, just listen to what that experience was, and then 
be like, did anyone have the opposite experience? Because inevitably, I like that. somebody in the room, like, because one experience of meditation, even for that person, if they do it five minutes down the line again, they may have a completely different experience. Um, and that's always like the coolest thing, not necessarily in the moment cool, in the moment it can be frustrating about going on retreat is like you'll go sit down in the morning and, you know, there'll be 20 some odd minute sit and then, you know, maybe walking meditation, maybe a little bit of a break for a stretch and then you sit back down again um, and uh, that first meditation maybe was like the most calm you've ever been in your life and then you sit down for the second one and you're like, what? <laughs> I thought the whole day was going to be like this, just like calm and quiet. And now like you're pissed off at the world. You don't know what you're doing with your life. Your, your mind seemingly is this endless stream of negative thoughts and, and emotions. And then, you know, you get done with that sit walking meditation, you go to sit down again, and then you're just bored out of your mind. And then that cycle just goes on for days to the point where you're just like, okay, I guess this is going to be a really boring 20 minutes now. <laughs> or I guess this is going to be a really, you know. Um, so it, it's important to, um, especially in meditation, but also in yoga class, if someone's like, oh, I felt this great stretch down here, and did anyone feel it anywhere else? Um, uh so that there's not this culture of like. Oh, that's what I should feel. That's what I should feel. <sighs> that's what the answer to the shape is. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's smart. Which brings us to. Um, uh, my first question on the our little Slack thread for this week. Um, what is actually valuable about what we're doing? You do mean in class, right? Yes. Um, I think that's a really good question. And I believe that the answer does have an element of malleability. Um, I think some days what we're doing is valuable in one way and some days I think it's valuable in another and it's not necessarily super consistent. True. Uh, but so a couple of things strike me off the top of my off the top of my head that are valuable and one of them is creating um small temporary communities where people are away from the stressors of their lives, if only for an hour. Mm -hmm. And they're doing so in community. And they're doing so without alcohol or food or other drugs served you know well and I mean, in, that's in the, most cases yes oh 
Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I just forgot about them. Yeah. But no, 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 so, keep going. Uh, yeah, I think this is. So the 50,000 foot view for me is, hey, look, we're going to hang out together and nothing is, ex- not much is expected of you socially. Just be here and that's okay. You know, and uh, for an hour to 90 minutes, I'm going to ask, you know, you're going to be asked, I'm going to ask you to think about what you're feeling and for you to feel what you're feeling and for you to sit in your body and for you to rest and work and question both, you know, and the result of which is you're not on your phone. You're not thinking about your performance at work. You're not thinking about, you might be thinking about these things, but you are not asked necessarily explicitly to think about work or partnership or identity um, or, beauty or age or sex or, or many of those things, those things come up internally, but you're in a space where you're invited to be simpler and to reduce. To reduce the number of, I I think we get to go to a, a much more basic place we get to be animals in a way we get to cultivate that does that make sense or did i take a far left turn when i said that last bit it was it was a moderate left turn it wasn't a far left turn it was just a moderate left turn. <laughs> um so i think about aaron Cantor, you yeah. know and like the thing that's most valuable to me is a lot of what and I got to tell you, when I first took class with him, I could not. It was terrible for me. I hated it. But I liked him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, what he was essentially asking was um, for us to consider how the body moves and how it feels to be in the body. And he did it in a way that was like, hey, look at all the ways we're animals. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Look, at, look at how our body moves. Remember. Yeah. Remember you're a fucking animal. Yeah. And like there's a beautiful genius and humility and power to that that um, that I think influences what I think is valuable about yoga in general. Yeah. What about you? What do you what do you well, think? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I agree if we're talking about group yoga classes that there can be I mean, I I I am I question the word community just because of how that gets abused in a capitalistic sense to sell yoga. But yes, in the in the sense of like there is a group of humans in a room yes. together pr- sharing a space and practicing. Temporary. That's yeah. the thing that's yeah. important. This is not like a it's your yoga community, yeah, which yeah. implies an ongoing thing. No, no, no. This yeah. is a temporary snapshot. And and I think there's some there's some effect that the context of a group class also um, creates a certain level of um, I don't know if this is the right word, but the word that's coming to mind is accountability. Interesting. Where, is this from potentially being observed? 
No, I don't. I don't think it's so much from being observed. I think it's more from the the um, because all of those things, all of those distractions that are that can potentially be pulled away. Um, you know, if you weren't in that group in that space with someone sitting at the front of the room and closing the door, it would be really easy as soon as you hit any moment of internal or, or physical difficulty um, to just kind of leave. And of course, we want people to, if they need to leave class, leave class. But I feel like the one of the reasons why people find the group practice to be valuable as opposed to just walking into a space and practicing on their own is because it they're being sort of held to a 75 or 90 minute framework and they're being told what to do. And they are accountable to, to, to being there and, and at least, you know, uh, I don't think that's necessarily always the best thing, but I think that whether people want to admit it or not, the like being told what to do in a room for a set period of time, like, that that is a part of the value of a group led yoga practice is that you don't have to generate the content content <laughs> and you know you don't have to be necessarily all that disciplined in terms of uh like the, a lot of decisions are being made for you um, and, you know, I think that's, that, that is both a fine thing that's, you know, I think just, just a, a natural, um, part of why, why the, uh, things have evolved the way they've evolved in terms of modern yoga culture. But I also think it's a little bit, it, I think it needs to be stated so that it isn't abused. And so that there isn't there isn't a misperception about what's going on in class on the student's point of view. I know when I go to a yoga class that I am in some ways giving up my ability a little bit of my ability to care for myself because I do have to conform to the group, at least to the point where I'm not disturbing anybody in terms of practicing what I need to practice to take care of myself. Um I, I am I am preferencing the community quote unquote aspect of what's going on in the classroom and a little bit downplaying perhaps what um, my needs are in terms of practice. And uh, okay, and the analogy to that is like <sighs> walking into a cafeteria and choosing exactly what you want versus somebody handing you a pre-made selection. Yeah. Like, yeah, you get the convenience of the pre-made selection, but it might not be exactly what you want slash or nutritionally needed. Yes. But that's the exchange and the payoff. Yeah. Otherwise, if you needed something exactly what you wanted, you would have come and chosen the yes. a la carte. Yes. Um, I think there's also a can be a value in group practice, I think not as much as there used to be, uh, 
in um, learning foundational skills in a casual way. Um, you know, it's not like in most classes people are giving a lecture demonstration on how to do Ujjayi Pranayama, but you get enough of an instruction each time you perhaps come to class with a teacher. I don't know why I pulled that example out of my ass, but it seems like a good one. Um, that you learn the Ujjayi Pranayama, which is, I think is a fairly foundational part of at least my practice, um, but you learn it in sort of a casual way. It, it's not um, necessarily like front and center lecture style all the time. Some days it might be. Is it, am I making sense with this? Yeah, it's an it's an aggregate of instruction that you get more complete by coming more frequently. Yes, maybe it gets presented multiple times. Yes. And then the downside to that is that you, you might be missing the purpose of a particular instruction on a particular day. Because the, it might not be explicitly stated by the teacher. You know, if, if I'm trying to lead a class that is just trying to give a positive experience of yoga to a group of people, I'm going to leave out quite a bit of instruction that I find that if I was trying to teach someone how to do that on their own, uh, that I would, I would feel would be necessary. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I don't think it has to be that way. I mean, it makes, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that in the extreme form, that's what happens. Is no, like, but what I'm saying is that there's a, there's a scale to it. That, oh, okay. like, yeah, yeah. that like, if, if my intention was only, like, I am just going to walk in, which is like what I would have to do if I walked into a room of 70 people. Like, I would just say to myself, like, okay, you have to let go of what's a little bit of what's valuable to you in terms of teaching yoga to people and just shift into giving people a positive experience of practice, sharing a positive experience of practice. And that means that a lot of things are going to have to be let go in terms of the way that I normally teach. So my intention is not to teach in such a way that people remember instruction. My goal is to guide in a skillful way in that particular moment. Whereas in another moment, I might actually sort of let the general flow, let the general sort of uh, uh, cultural expectation of a class kind of deteriorate because I'm trying to illustrate a particular concept or a particular skill that I find to be really valuable. That's a different mode of teaching. And it's not like one switch is on and one switch is off. It's that they're in a constant interplay. Because I recognize that if I'm giving detailed instruction, there's a level of cognitive functioning that has to be going on that when I'm practicing on my own is uh, quieted because the instructions are internal. I'm not processing someone else's information. So I'm able to be embodied in a different way. 
Okay. And the thing that I like both in class and when I'm teaching is to like, I do turn on and off in that way. Like I'll be like, flow, flow, move, 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 blah, blah, blah. All right. But why did we just do that? Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? And, and I, because that's the, the only, like right now that's the way it comes yeah. naturally to me. And like, I can do it that way. I don't know that I could, I could try other ways, but this way is working for me right now. And it's a way to like have at least one or two moments in class where there's like yeah. actual instruction but or even, at least actually talking philosophically about what we're yeah. doing and why. Yeah. And that's the thing that I miss from a lot of public classes. And I wish more, that sounded so gross and I didn't mean it to sound that gross. It's something I value in public classes are when teachers sort of drop the fourth wall for a moment and say, Hey, you know why I, I do this thing or use this cue? Here's why, here's why. I, and here's sort of a little bit of the history of where it came from and why I still use it and value it and why we're doing it right this second. Yeah. And it takes a lot of wind out of the sails of the class if you're teaching a vinyasa to all of a sudden, like, okay, we're going to talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? But, like, I really value that because there are sometimes that I'm in a class with a teacher and I'm like, why? Why any of this? Like, yeah. Because I don't understand their valuing or connection to it. And I don't need to understand the valuing or connection of every fucking thing. Like, I don't. Yeah. But, like, I need to see a little sum of why you yeah. care about what the fuck we're doing in class right now. Yeah. But there there always is this balance because even if I were to you know, even if you brought me you know, I th- I think of like taking a workshop with with Leslie Kamenoff. There's a lot of information being thrown at you. But there are still these little moments where there's just practice. The practice may be organized around a particular inquiry, but it still sort of pulls the brakes off of, hey, here's all of this information. There's an experiential uh, moment of yoga that is constantly uh, interweaving through the workshop, which is generally fundamentally about learning concepts and skills that are valuable in, in your own practice that you can sort of feed into your own practice of yoga. Um, so the, those two things are always interweaving. But I think the other part that, that I think is, um, you know, I feel like people either talk about it in a really... Um, I don't know what the right word is. There is some aspect of the value of going to, or, or the value of going to a group class might be because you just have a particular resonance with the teacher. They might not really be teaching you much, you know, in terms of like, this is how you do this, oh. this is how you do that. But I, uh, I feel like there have definitely been teachers that I've gone to where, like, I know even that some of this information that you're saying is wrong. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> just kind of not accurate. Uh, but I think that you're a cool human <laughs> and you hold space really well in front of a room. And I feel, you know, confident in your ability to do that. So I'm going to come to class. 
Or it might be that I've, there's certainly teachers with whom, like, I've really learned what I've learned from them. Like, there's that, there's, so, so the, when I do end up back in their class, it's more like, it's just so like, oh, okay, this is a, this is just a positive experience of yoga. I'm not necessarily in there trying to, like, figure things out in terms of the way they teach practice or the way that they practice. Um, yeah, and to be fair, the longer you teach, the less, and how do I say this in not a dicky way, but like the narrower the scope of expectation for what you're getting and why you're getting it from a class. So you go either because you like being in somebody's presence or you like this one sort of thing that they do or you have a history. Or but, you just like the space. I like, have never gone to a class because I like the space. That's I, interesting. I, I know people who who will um, you know, go sit a retreat with someone they're not all that excited about sitting a retreat with um, just because they have a connection to practicing in that particular space. I know people who, you know, uh, if I weren't so conflicted about yoga works I might have that feeling about the front room uh, not necessarily in terms of taking a group but if I could go in there and practice every once in a while like I've had a lot of positive experiences in that in that front room there um, uh, so I, I, I've, I've heard of that too it's, it's definitely not like the top of the the you know uh list of things that I've heard, but that's a possibility too. Um, but what I keep coming back to is that all of these things that, of these reasons why I might find that teaching a group class is valuable or even, um, uh, attending a group class is valuable. I don't think I would find it that valuable if it weren't within the context of doing of having my own practice say that last sentence again you don't think you would find it as valuable I, I wouldn't be able to be clear about like I wouldn't even just I would not be able to go into a group class anymore I don't think if I didn't have some stability in my own in my practice on my own so that I was clear about, then could be clear about the reasons why I might go take a group class. Well, if you didn't have a, a home practice, you could use public classes to reintroduce one. Uh, that's a, a distinct possibility. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, I doubt for me that it would be very effective. Um, now that I think about it, the last public class I took was Lindsay's on Saturday night, which was wonderful. Um, I just had that thought that I went, went to Lindsay's class just this past weekend. Um, uh, but, 
I I think there are wonderful things about people attending a class, but I really want to advocate for people having all of those things and having the ability to practice on their own. And sometimes the two work against each other. Sometimes the two work together, but sometimes the two work against each other. Because I think Yeah, I agree with that. Because there are times where like if you're only taking public class and you build the schedule that completely takes away your energy and interest and time to be able to have a home practice. Oh. Frankie agrees. Yes. Um But that also, that, that has to be set, that view has to be set by the teachers. And if the majority of the teachers are not having some balance between practicing on their own and going to class, then that won't in any way trickle down through the community. Um, because what's actually valuable to me about practice more broadly is that I'm able to actually care for myself. And I didn't learn that skill, or I didn't learn necessarily that view by taking public classes that that was even a possibility. Really? Because I feel like I did. I feel like taking your class and Nicole's and Matthew's, that's like the overriding message I received for years and years through a public class. Well, and and I'm so fantastic. I'm I'm really glad about that. But I I'm I'm talking more like. I mean, I just described three teachers that are you know maybe not doing what most the bulk people, are, of people doing. are doing. You know, so for me, maybe part of my bias towards public class is the fact that I did have a little bit of a unique um, set of teachers that all were over and over and over again saying, no, 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 don't do less or yeah, listen yeah, yeah. to yourself and try this. When you try this at home, do this, yeah. you know, like constantly. Yeah. Um, but it's, what's interesting to me is like, I, I just wonder I wonder if it's possible to just I don't I don't know. Sentence is not forming in my brain. 
um, what I find myself doing often is thinking of thinking about this question of like what is valuable about practicing in any context and then thinking about okay well what what skills am I actually utilizing in practice and why are do I keep coming back to those things um, and then trying not to take that and like m morph it into some expression of a business like just trying to like sit with that in the truth of the fact that I have a fucking business that I have to run <laughs> um, and and uh, it's not that those two things should be separated it's just that I, I'm, I'm finding it helpful to just sort of sit with that and be like Right, well, on a daily basis, like what what is actually the what what are the things that I'm actually practicing? Um, having now perhaps enough practice under my belt that I can be like, yeah, those are things that are foundational to practice. There are some other things that I will do once in a while just for the sake of fun and inquiry, uh, um, and holding that within the truth that practice is always evolving and there are always, you know, things always shift. But, like, it, it's been really interesting to sit with with that question of, like, okay, well, what, what's actually valuable about this thing that I have accidentally dedicated um, a uh, little over a decade did you say, and a half? Did you say that I have accidentally dedicated? Yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, uh, and and the list actually isn't the list of like things that I'm actually practicing on a daily basis is not actually that long. Like it's a pretty finite set of things. Um. Which is kind of cool because I remember always looking. I think one of Judith Lasseter's books is like the thirty essential yoga poses or something like that. Um, I don't remember if it's thirty or if it's some other number, but I remember at one point in my practice seeing that book and being like, "How could you distill it down to thirty? That's so ridiculous. There's so many things you can do." And now I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, thirty sounds about right. <laughs> Simple is better." <laughs> Um, uh, is it really 30? I mean, I'm going to look it up. Um, it's something like 30 essential something or other. Yep. It is 30 essential yoga poses. Oh, yep. that makes me cringe. As if, as if there are, I don't, I don't agree with the premise, but I don't. I don't think the premise is 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 that. I I don't think I ever actually read the book. I probably just skimmed through it. Um, uh, there are there are forms and techniques in which I can explore the variables clearly, and I can do a whole lot of different things to feel my body more clearly and care for myself clearly um, in uh, 
particular forms and there are others where it's like okay yeah i know how to do that but it's not necessarily uh all that useful so it's not it's not a conversation of of limiting it's a conversation of like okay well clear, there's a clear foundation to the things that i am practicing and if I'm teaching well, then eventually someone will have an expression in the foundations of their practice that might be completely different. Because it's the thing that things that over time they have found to be useful and foundational. So like Parshva Bakasana is not one of them. But I can feel many of the same things and 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 work with many of the same uh, uh, concepts in Mary Chasana 3 and so is Parshvabhakasana foundational to my practice? No but it's not something that I rule out or say is not part of yoga practice it's just something to say like yeah that's that's compound and not fundamentally useful on a day-to-day -day basis for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm very much... Oh, I'm very much with you on that one. But you knew that. Oh, I think that might be the sound of the bell. I've got... That might be the sound of the bell. <laughs> that could be the sound of the bed, the bell. Oh. There was one more thing I wanted to, on that list. What um, the hell was it? Oh, we might have to save it for the next. Uh, photo shoot anxiety, uh, helping a student and giving them space. Um, what are you practicing platforms to teach online yoga. Those are the things that I have on my list. Yeah, those are all good. But I don't do you, do you have a do you have uh, something some words of inspiration to leave us with? Oh god, words of inspiration. Hey Say hi, Frankie. Say, arm, arm, arm. she says, I am not your puppet. <laughs> I am not your monkey. Well, she kind of is my monkey. She kind of is. She's my <laughs> that's my, that's my words of, that's my words of in inspiration. Um, no, I mean, I think, what we're what we're always dancing around is is it okay that we're doing what we're doing with our lives? Yeah. <laughs> I and I don't, you know, I, I, I gotta tell you, Ryan, like I I have never been more ambivalent, like sure and unsure yeah. simultaneously of the value of what we're doing. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm teaching in a new studio now, and that really... Oh, I'm... you know, I know. Okay. Do you want the microphone? Yes. Okay. You got it. Yeah. 
you know, and it <laughs> changes my perspective being at a new studio. And it's like, I'm figuring out again why I'm doing what I'm doing. And when I go back to the old studio, cause I'm still teaching, sorry, I'm still teaching one class. <laughs> okay, Frankie. Um, I've got to go for now. We will leave a brilliant cliffhanger we'll leave on a that thought. And uh, Frankie and I apologize for the brevity of our ending. Um, as always, you can find us at Unrolled Podcast, uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, patreon.com slash unrolledpodcast, unrolledpodcast.com, and please always feel free to email us. Uh, at unrolledpodcast at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, until next time. Bye. Bye.